many of you are like me and you have a tendency towards making things complicated at times? Okay, thank you. Awesome. All right. <laughs> you are my people. Awesome. All the complicated people in the house this morning. I like it. I have a tendency to make things uh, complicated, uh, overly complicated at, at times. And I get frustrated easy, not because something is complicated, but because I I make it complicated. And because I think in shapes and colors many times, I'm uh, a little lost in things. Um, I don't understand what I'm doing all the time. But my wife, come on, thank God for, for a wife who is linear and thinks clearly on things and sees things the way that I don't see things. She makes everything simplistic in my life. Come on, does somebody have that other person in your life where it's like they, they change the way that you look at things? And so she will take my overcomplicated ways of doing things, my overcomplicated ways of, of talking and looking at things and doing things, and she will, she will simplify them for me. She'd say, hey, hey, babe, why don't you do it this way, and it, it might work out a little bit better for you. And then, and then you do it that way, and you're like, oh, my life's been changed. My life's been changed forever. And and so there's constantly these moments and these, these frustrating moments that I have, and they're, and they're mainly self-induced because I have a tendency to make things complex. And I would venture to say that I'm not the only one in the room this morning, in one way or another, that has the tendency to make things, certain things, many things, complicated. And I think it's something that we just do as humans, right? We have a tendency to make what is supposed to be simple complicated. And I think during this particular season, the Christmas season, we're all a bit more aware of the spiritual side of our lives, the overall tone of our lives, the direction of our lives. But the problem that we face is the complexity of the season, mainly induced, self-induced, has a tendency to distract us from the opportunity that we have to experience Jesus in a deeper, more profound, and powerful way. And that is what I want to tackle in this series. Because I don't want us as a church to walk through December, walk through this Christmas season, and miss everything that Jesus has for us. And I don't know about you, but I've gone through seasons, I've gone through moments in my life where I look back and I go, man, I, I missed a moment. You ever been there before? Where you're like, man, I, I missed this moment. I wish I wouldn't have missed this moment. It flew by. Last night we were putting up our Christmas tree with the kids and, and getting everything ready, getting the house ready and everything like that. And it was all said and done and I stood back in my kitchen and I, and I looked at my living room and then I turned to Erica and I said, I cannot believe it's December already. You thought that way? Then did you like have palpitations in your heart, right? Like all of a sudden, like, wait, wait, how are we into the first week of December already? It's like three weeks till Christmas Eve. Yeah, some of you like breathe deep. I thought we were, thought we were talking about simplicity this morning. <laughs> but that's the point. That's the point is that we're so, we can get so focused and forward motion and forward minded that we miss resting in and, and finding sanctuary in this moment that should direct our eyes, our gaze, our hearts, our will, our desire upon the one who is the reason for it all at the end of the day, Jesus. And so that's what it is that I want to direct us with during this season. One author put it this way as he wrote concerning the issue of simplicity in life. He said, the search for the simple life continues today, particularly in the educated class. Simple clothing, minimalist design, local dining, and thinking about these things while thumbing through the latest edition of Real Simple Magazine. But the effect is limited. We set out to eat, pray, love, but we often end up with binge, purge, and regret. 
So what we tend to do is try and place blame, right? We argue against capitalism and consumerism, products and advertising. We try to place blame on society and the way that our country and and world is, is run. However, the problem is not what is outside of us and around us. The problem is what it's always been, that which is inside of us. The New American Commentary puts it like this, the character of the God who loves us should and does make claims on who we are and what we love for ourselves. In other words, there is a way to have and experience simplicity in our lives, to move away from the complexity and experience the rhythms of grace provided to us in and through Jesus. And I love that grace is a rhythm. And for some of you, you're like, I got no rhythm. I'm like, I know, I watch you clap during worship. <laughs> the drummers hate it. <laughs> if you're ever like, why is the drummer closed all the time? He's, his eyes are closed because it's not because he's worshiping. <laughs> it's not because he's worshiping. He's like, if I watch him clap, I will lose this beat, y'all. <laughs> it's me most of the time. <laughs> Stop clapping, pastor. <laughs> However, for many of us, this conversation could, if we're not careful, cause us to simply swing to the polar edges of behavior modification. We would say, to find simplicity, I must give everything away and live a life of solitude and quietness. And for some of us, that actually sounds really nice. <laughs> but that's, that's not the issue. To find simplicity is not to give everything away and to have nothing and to to simply walk maybe through this Christmas season and go like, well, we're going to burn the tree and we're just going to sit in our living room and we're just going to stare at each other and not talk, just sit. That's not what we're we're talking about. And this series is not my attempt to bash all the things that go along with Christmas in in our world and in our culture. That's not my heart. That's not my desire. My desire is just to simply anchor our hearts and our minds and our focus once again again, to Jesus, to Jesus, because getting rid of everything and just sitting in solitude and quietness, the truth is, is that is simply not simplicity. Simplicity is not the removal of all things from our lives, but it is the removal of some things. Simplicity is not the act of doing nothing, it's the ability to do the right things. So here are some truths that we have to wrestle with concerning this idea of simplicity as we work through this message this morning. The first truth is this, we tend to reject simplicity because we knowingly struggle with the silence of our thoughts, the weight of our decisions past and present, and the reflection of the mirror. Complexity keeps us from having to deal with these issues, right? Because if we, if we find simplicity, if we remove the distractions, you ever been there before in the quiet Moments of a moment, all of a sudden you have to gaze upon your past. You have to reflect upon your now and you have to be concerned with the future. And it's in that moment all of a sudden you don't know what to do and the anxiety creeps in and the fear creeps in. And so the only way we know how to manage is i got to make it complex again. So that's the first truth we've got to wrestle with. The second truth is this. We struggle with simplicity because complexity keeps us accountable to nothing. And excess ensures that we will never have to become truly grateful for what we already have. Ever been there before? It's actually easier to be complex. Simplicity is difficult. 
Why? Because simplicity means that I have to be okay with what I have now. Contentment. Tonight, or today, we're talking about beautiful simplicity. Next week, we're talking about radical generosity. Week three of this series, we're doing a message called Contagious Contentment. What if our contentment was contagious to the people around us? That's the thought we're going to work with as we work into to Christmas Eve. So our search is for more, more stuff, more money, more notoriety, more responsibility, more influence, a bigger house, a better car, more friends, more followers, more likes, you fill in the blank. But the truth is, more is the cry of a soul that has not been completely satisfied. The craving for more is birthed out of the fear of missing out on something that at the end of the day will never satisfy. More never gives us more. Complex never gives us greater understanding of simplicity. In reality, more expects more from us while we lose everything that has ever really meant something. So Matthew Henry, the great commentator, writes it this way. He says, we must highly esteem him, be well pleased that there is such a being, well pleased in all his attributes and relations to us. Our desire must be towards him, our delight in him, our dependence upon him. To him we must entirely be devoted. It must be a constant pleasure to us to think of him, hear from him, speak to him, and serve him. What a beautiful way of putting it. What's he saying? It's simple. It's simple, but come on somebody, we make it complicated, don't we? We make marriage complicated, we make work complicated. Come on, we make church complicated, right? We make faith complicated. This is why people freaked out when Jesus, when they asked Jesus, when they questioned Jesus, hey, like, what do you say concerning the law? What is your thoughts and your ideas concerning the law? And he says, look, I'm going to boil it all down. All of this that you try to follow, all of this that you try to do, I'm going to boil it down to two things. Love God with everything that you are and love people with everything that you are. And people flipped the Pharisees flipped, even his disciples flipped. Why? Because this, this is not complex enough for me. Have you ever thought that before? <laughs> this, is, this can't be right. It's not complicated enough. Right? This was Ikea's strategy. <laughs> if we make it complicated, they will come. <laughs> In other words, let me boil all this kind of introduction down to one thought. Every attempt at simplicity outside of God will always bring us back to complexity. So why do we do this? Let's talk about the why. Why is simplicity so elusive in our lives? I want to look at four reasons why simplicity is not experienced in our lives. Number one, every shot number one? It's because we are fragmented in our focus. We're fragmented in our focus. And a recent study done by psychologists and published in Psychology Today revealed some very important but scary findings about focus. In this recent study, over 300 middle school, high school, and college students were observed as they studied for a length of 15 minutes. 15, that's it. 15 minutes. The point of the study was to see if they could focus, and if not, what might be the distraction or distractions. Listen to what the findings revealed, and I quote, Every minute we noted exactly what they were doing. 
whether they were studying, if they were texting or listening to music or watching television in the background, and if they had a computer screen in front of them, what websites were being visited. The results were startling. First, these students were only able to focus and stay on task for an average of three minutes at a time, and nearly all of their distractions came from technology. Three minutes at a time. Focus for three minutes at a time. But it's not just technology that's stealing our attention. There are so many other culprits, isn't there? But the reality is, is that we're distracted. We're trying to compute everything all at once, and in doing so, we're not taking one thing in. Have you ever realized that? <laughs> you ever been this way? We're, all, like, we're trying to receive all this information and all this stuff and everything. We're trying to input it all, and in inputting all of it, we aren't getting anything out of it. So the first reason that we do not experience simplicity is that we're fragmented in our focus. This is what Paul would deal with with Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Watch what, he, watch what he says to him to deal with this issue. And it's with militant terms that he writes this. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. What is Paul saying? Don't get caught up with things that you don't need to get caught up in. Come on, keep focused. We're introduced to a woman named Martha in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, who experienced the effects of divided focus. And it says this, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Do you not care that she's just sitting there listening to you? Do you not care that she's in your presence? Do you not care that this lady's being, she's being lazy? I'm doing all the work. She's being lazy. Tell her then to help me. She wanted Jesus, the Son of God, to get Mary on her chores. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you were anxious and troubled about many things. You ever felt that way before? You felt anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. Here's the question we should be asking ourselves right now. And if you're taking notes, I really hope that you write this down. Are we living caught up or are we living called out? Are we living caught up or are we living called out? called out life, and one being lived as such is a life that's not caught up and distracted and, and unfocused. A called out life is one that is focused, purposed, and free of complexity. I lose everything. I lose my keys, I lose my wallet, I lose my phone all the time. All the time. You can ask any of my friends. Like, the, like Justin, any of these guys that are around me, like, where's my keys? Where's my stuff? Where's my stuff? Why? Because my mind many times, if I'm honest, come on, if I'm just being honest with you, I'm, I'm caught up a lot of times. Come on, you ever been there? Where your thoughts are somewhere else, your ideas are somewhere else, your focus is not on what you should be focused on, and, and this is the problem that we have in the world that we live in right now, is that we're caught up. Some of you right now are missing this entire point because you are caught up with other things. <laughs> You're going to lean over to the person next to you and be like, what was number one? <laughs> are we caught up or are we called out? Number two, are we shot number two? The second reason that we have a tendency to miss simplicity is that we are divided in our devotion. We are divided in our devotion. 
Simplicity is an impossibility when our hearts are divided. Internal division is what manufactures and maintains. Listen, internal division is what manufactures and maintains complexity in our lives. Jesus deals with this issue in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, when he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he throws this in here, and many of us have heard this before, you cannot serve God and money. We've heard this piece of scripture before. Now, for a lot of us, it divides us on some stuff, and it's because we've kind of interpreted it wrong, and we haven't dealt with it appropriately. And it's interesting that Jesus uses this term master when dealing with the issue of divided devotion. What he's driving at is that the devotion and loyalty of ourselves can only go in one direction, not multiple. This is what I call the devotion dilemma. Because here's the deal. All of us will be devoted to something. All of us will be devoted to something. Some of you, many of you, have moved in from other states. Now, it's easy to move into Utah when it comes to professional football because we don't have anything. So we all keep our teams. But when I moved from Seattle to Phoenix, being a diehard Seattle fan, who I pray to the Lord beats the Philadelphia Eagles today, just quid pro quo, <laughs> I moved to Phoenix, I'm pastoring in Phoenix, I'm leading in Phoenix, and so one of my convictions is i got to love what's in Phoenix. But that was hard, because the Arizona Cardinals are, and I do not, I, do not, I will not be devoted to them. <laughs> I won't, I just simply won't do it. So I was divided in devotion. I had Cardinals players that were coming to our young adults ministry, and I would talk with them, and I would, and I would counsel them, and I would minister to them, and and I would quickly say, look, just, just to be safe and just to, for you to be aware, I hate your team. I'm devoted to one and one only. But I still love you with the love of the Lord. <laughs> we are divided in our devotion. And this piece of scripture is both profound and nuanced. In that Jesus deals with divided devotion and one of the greatest culprits involved in our divided devotion. So the closest English word that we have to describe this culprit is money. Jesus employs this word. But a more accurate, in-depth word is the word actually used by Jesus, which is mammon. Every shout mammon. This word or term better describes the reality of Jesus' teaching and what he's trying to get at. And this is mammon. The totality of our personal and material resources. Not just money. Not just the dollar bill, y'all. Okay? Much of what divides our devotion is the issue of mammon that we all face. This is why money, resource, stuff, and things are so important to us, and, and in many ways, why they define us. Once again, the point is not to give everything away and live in solitude, but we do have to ask the question, here it is, is my heart divided in devotion? Am I chasing something? Am I defined by something? Are inanimate objects the things that make me who I am? who I am. And I think this statement found in the New American Commentary sums up Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 the best, when it says this, we try so hard to create heaven on earth and to throw in Christianity when convenient as another small addition to the so-called good life. Jesus proclaims that unless we are willing to serve him wholeheartedly in every area of life, but particularly with our material resources, we cannot claim to be serving him at all. That's hard. Swallow that. That's hard. 
And I think this is why some of us like push against following Jesus. The minute it gets hard. What's he saying? All he's saying at the end of the day is I want your devotion. Right? My wife says to me, I want your devotion. You can't be, you can't be divided in all these different things. I want, I want your devotion. Well, my kids are trying to get my attention, and I'm on my phone, and, 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 and they're like, what's on your phone, Dad? And, 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 and it's not important. I know that. And then Eric times in, she goes, is there something important on your phone? Because your kid, it, you, divided in devotion. This is easy for us because we are humans. <laughs> for many of us, we get quiet on this point because I think if we're all honest, we have a tendency to walk down the path of divided devotion. Can I, give you, can I just give you a practical picture of what divided devotion looks like? This is what it looks like. It's going to get real weird in church right now, okay? <laughs> I practiced this at home. This is what you look like when you're divided in devotion. You're trying to walk two paths. You're trying to be on both sides of the fence. And so we walk weirdly and our faith looks weird and our lives look weird. But when I'm singular in devotion, I can walk the path. And that is why Jesus said it's narrow. It's a narrow path. Why? Because you can't, you can't be on both sides of it. So for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. For me and my family, we're going to stay on this path. I, wanna be divi- I don't want to be divided in my devotion. I want to be singular in my devotion. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Number three, every shout number three. three. We're caught up in our cares. This is why simplicity is difficult. We're caught. You're getting something out of this this morning. <laughs> We're caught up in our cares, Mark 4, 18 through 19. A lot of scripture, because I want you to hear this is, this is not my opinion, this is the Bible. All right, Mark 4, 18 through 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who heard the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. Right here in Mark 4, 18 through 19, Jesus is now on the backside of a parable that we are introduced to just a few verses earlier, the beginning of chapter 4. Jesus likens God's word to a seed that is planted in the ground. Jesus then deals with different types of soil and its ability to accept the seed of God's word or not. One of the reasons that Jesus highlights is the cares of the world as being a reason for the rejection of his word. This is the same when it comes to the rejection of simplicity. We are caught up in our cares. What we care about is a strong indicator to the degree of simplicity that we may or may not be experiencing or will experience in life. The question that we should be asking ourselves is whether or not the things that we are caring so much about are actually the things that we should be caring so much about. It's not that we're not supposed to care so that we have to make sure that what we are caring about are things that actually matter. In Bible college, one of my lecturers said this in a, when dealing with this issue, and I think it's been something that shaped my life and the way that we try to look at things. And he said this, in the scheme of eternity, does it matter? I think that's a great question. When you're caught up in a care, when you're so fixated on a, on a care, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is in the scheme of eternity, does it really matter? Does it matter that that thing broke? 
Does it matter that the crack in your iPhone screen that's brand new, does it matter that it's there? Come on, <laughs> someone said you are like, well, yeah. <laughs> Actually, yes. <laughs> in the scheme of eternity, because think about how, it, think about what these cares do to our day, right? Think about what these cares do to our interactions. Think about what these cares do in our marriages. These cares have a tendency to mess things up. But I, I think if we were to ask the question in, this, in the scheme of eternity, in, in the grandness of this life that, that, we, that we live, as small as it is and as short as it is, does it really matter? Does it really matter? Does it matter that my car has a dent in it? Does it matter that there are foreign objects growing, life, like, like actual life growing on the floor of my car? Yeah. <laughs> we have found new life forms, and it is not in outer space. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Come on, think about the things that, that you're caught up in. Think about the cares that we get that we get caught up in. I think that if we would learn to place our cares in reference to eternity, it might shape differently the way that we view our cares. So hold them up. <laughs> Just hold them up. Take the care and it looks so small compared to that. In January, we're going to begin a new series called Blip. Our life is just a blip on the radar. So how do, we, how do we hold our life next to eternity when it comes to living purposefully? We're caught up in our cares. Number four, every shot number four. We are abundant in action. <laughs> Remember, these are the reasons why simplicity eludes us. The fourth reason that we have a tendency to miss simplicity is because we are abundant in action. And I think this is such an important one for the season that we're entering into. We are simply too busy. Can I just say it? Can I say it this morning? We're simply too busy. I actually fought with that statement. I really felt like I put on my heart to just say, tell the church we're too busy. We, I include myself in that. I'm not pointing fingers. We are too busy. Come on, somebody. <laughs> But I wrestled with saying that because we take offense to it, and it's hard. Don't tell me I'm too busy. Don't you, don't, don't you do that. But we are. Talk to 15-year-olds. They're like, man, my schedule's packed. <laughs> Doing what? <laughs> my kids, can you do this for me? No, Dad, I'm busy. With what? <laughs> We're busy. And while many of us find a distorted version of self-fulfillment when we are busy, it's not actually producing in us anything of substance and truth. <laughs> From a very loving and caring pastoral heart, I say this statement. Most times our busy is just another way to avoid what we are running from, are unhappy with, or unable to control. And I think that busy really does epitomize the idea and reality of complexity in our lives. 
I think busy is complexity to its furthest degree. So what's the fix as the team comes up? And as we get ready to dismiss, I'm going to go through these really fast because I, I want us to see the problem. The solution's actually pretty, we can take to the solutions. The problem is navigating our hearts and our minds to the problem. I think the problem in understanding the problems, when we see them, all of a sudden we go, oh, that's, that's it, that's, that's there, right? You ever, you ever been there before? The minute you see the problem, you can quickly get to the solution. So I want to give you three solutions really fast as we get ready to close. Three solutions that we need to employ in our lives if we're going to find simplicity this Christmas season. Number one, the first one is this, is we have to learn to be present in his presence. We have to learn to be present in his presence. Colossians 3, 1 through 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We need to be present in his presence. This goes back to the focus issue. And so many times we miss being present in the presence of God because we are distracted by everything that we are distracted by. How many times have we checked our Facebook, Instagram, or put something on the ever-growing to-do list just in the course of this service? And I know it happens because I actually get texts on my phone right now from you who are sitting out there. <laughs> Look, they're not listening. Don't worry, I've done it as well. <laughs> we call it multitasking. <laughs> to avoid the truth of what it really is, distracted. I'm just multitasking. No, you're not, you're distracted. Distracted. See, to be, and I just got a text right now from somebody. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> To be present in his presence is where change takes place. It's where intimacy takes place. Purpose is found. Miracles happen. What stops us from being present in his presence? To just drop everything for an hour and 15 or so minutes. To stay stationed in his love. People say, I don't feel God. I can't sense God. He's not working in me. The question I have to ask is, have you ever tried to wrangle something that's constantly moving? Have you ever tried to grab a chicken before? <laughs> I just wonder if God's like, <laughs> come here, come here. <laughs> Stop for a minute. <laughs> Someone's going to ask you, what did you learn in church today? And I just be like, 
We have to learn to be present in his presence. Number two, we have to learn to cooperate with his commands. We have to learn to cooperate with his commands. John 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, the one who's going to help you keep these things to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Keep. The idea of keep is better translated to keep diligent watch over. Jesus is not talking about being perfect. He's not talking about having it all together. He's talking about being the type of person that keeps diligent watch over the commands that he's initiated in our life. To be the person that gazes upon and says, I want my life to align with that. And I want to keep his commands. I want to hold his commands. I want to live his commands. And in doing so, I experience his blessing and his provision and his life and his joy and his peace by keeping Keeping his commands, keeping them, hold them dear. And the last one is this. We have to learn to battle busy. Here's your, here's your war cry now. Walk out of here. Battle busy. Battle busy. Throw some jabs at it. Come on, move, dodge. Flow like a butterfly, sting like a bee, whatever you need to do when it comes to busy. You gotta battle it, you gotta fight it. Mark 6, 30 through 31, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Think about that statement right there. They came back to Jesus, look at all we did. They're pumped, they're like, look at everything we did, all the stuff we did and all the stuff that we taught. Watch, watch Jesus' response, watch what he says. And he said to them, come away. By yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. Got a battle busy and some of us are so occupied with all of these things that we've yet to just sit and rest and eat. I think busy is the greatest tool that the enemy will use in our lives this Christmas season to keep us from experiencing Jesus. And if you get twitchy thinking about sitting, resting, pausing, not being busy, I'd say it's a pretty good indicator that that's exactly what you need to be doing. This morning, church, this week, this month, come on, even this year, can we learn beautiful simplicity? Can our life be marked by beautiful simplicity? And the way that we hold the cadence of our life be seen in beautiful simplicity. As Paul said in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, going all the way back to where we started, I'm afraid that the enemy has deceived you by stripping away the simplicity that is in Jesus. Beautiful simplicity. That's how we start our Christmas season in 2017. Come on, stand your feet.